Awesome. So we have been studying on righteousness, especially, I mean, we call this uh, series Convicted Righteous. So, and what does that mean? And um, in John 16, 8, uh, Jesus is about to leave his disciples, you know, and he tells them that I will go away, but I will send a helper. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And then he defines what those are. He says of sin because they do not believe in him. So he's talking about they, as in people who are not believing in Jesus. The Holy Spirit will convict them of sin so they know their need for the Savior. And then he talks about righteousness. He, he defines how Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness. He says, of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. And I got hung up on that. Because the first one, yes, I can understand. It makes sense. And then also the last one, he says, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So Satan has been judged. So I, I understood that part. But righteousness, man, he says, Holy Spirit convicts me of righteousness because Jesus goes to the Father and I see him no more. Like, what is that? So we saw how Jesus was actually going around convicting people of righteousness. Every time somebody believed in Jesus, someone came to Jesus, he would forgive their sin. So they are made righteous. And then he assures them of that righteousness. We saw uh, how he went up into the Mount of Transfiguration uh, with three of his disciples. The rest of them were down the mountain. And by the time they come back, they see a commotion going on and you know, there's this father who brought his child with epilepsy and uh, oppressed by a demon. And uh, the disciples were not able to cast out the demon. And they were surprised because they were able to do that before. Because he sends them two by two, giving them authority. And they, they come back, Lord, even the demons, you know, go away when we say your name. So... So they know they can do it because he has given them the authority. But this time around, they couldn't. So when Jesus came down, he's like, he sees them arguing with the scribes, the teachers of the law. And, and he asked them, what are you arguing? And then he asked, what's going on? And they tell him this, what's been going on? Your disciples couldn't, you know, heal my son. And then he says, bring him to me. And he, he tells, he almost rebukes the disciples saying, you faithless and perverse generation. And his argument was, how long must I be with you? So what's that got to do with? Because what happened was they were arguing with the scribes, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, and they were saying, you can't cast out a demon. Only God can. Who do you think you are? You can't even keep the Sabbath properly. You guys don't, be, don't wash hands before eating. Or, you know, whatever. They're trying to disqualify them. 
according to the law. But Jesus was qualifying them always because he was saying, hey, I am going to fulfill the law. I am your payment. I am your ransom. Trust in me. So this is what Jesus was doing. And when Jesus was around, they were righteousness conscious because he would remind them that you've been forgiven. But when he was not around and they were hanging out with the people of the law, then somehow, you know, that put their faith down and they couldn't cast out the demon. That's what's been going on. So that's why Jesus was saying, how long will I be with you? I won't be around you to remind you that you're righteous. So when he's leaving, he's sending the Holy Spirit who will convict us of righteousness because I go to my father and you don't see me. So that's what's been going on, right? So Holy Spirit's job in a believer's life is primarily to convict us of righteousness. You know, there's a convicted felon, there's a convicted murderer, or there's a convicted thief or whatever, right? And then there's convicted righteous people. So that, so we, we kind of, you know, uh, looked into that. And um, so we kind of defined righteousness. The first time righteousness was mentioned in the Bible, it was with Abraham. Uh, God said, I'll multiply your seed. And he was specifically talking about, in God's idea, he was talking about his son. And in Abraham's mind, he was thinking about, I don't have children. And God said, go out count the stars. Interesting fact, by the way, um, in Hebrew Bible, when he said, count the stars or number the stars, that word also means name the stars. Because you see, there's a lot of parallelism. Like you, you look in Psalms, several times he says, God, he numbers all the stars and he knows their name. So in Hebrew, numbering is closely associated with naming it. As in, now, the, you can't take this as scripture, but there are scriptures that um, make uh, reference to this. As in, uh, there's a verse that says, the heavens declare his glory. Mm -hmm. right? so what does that mean? So there's a Hebrew tradition. Uh, um, they say in the stars, um, the, what do you call those? Constellations. Constellations, right. Um, there's a story in the constellation. Now, this is not astrology. This was just how God created it. So there's, in Hebrew, they call it Matzerot, the so the constellations that starts with Virgo and ends in Leo, starts with the virgin birth and ends in the reign of the king. So it's all about Jesus. Somewhere man turned it around, made it into, you know, what does that constellation mean for me? And it turned it into astrology and turned it into a demonic thing. But that's how God created stuff. So when he brought out Abraham, he, He's, he tells Abraham, come out of the tent and look at the stars and number them. God was saying, look what I've you know, prepared for mankind. 
and he was talking about the coming seed of Eve. The, the, the ancient prophecy, probably Abraham or might have heard, hey, God told Eve that your seed will crush Satan's head. And God was showing to Abraham, like, that seed is coming through you. Right? That's why it says the same gospel has been preached to Abraham. So he believed the Lord, and it was countered to him for righteousness. So that's when the first time righteousness was mentioned. So when you believe the word of the Son, God counts you righteous. So that's kind of how righteousness is defined. And um, we saw several things. Last week, specifically, we went through the journey of Paul after he got saved because he was, man, he was a zealot. Uh, in today's language, he was a terrorist, a religious fanatic, killing people for God. But when he got born again, uh, that zeal kind of took time to work its way out because uh, Paul himself says zeal without knowledge is it's not good. Um, so he was, he found himself in a place where, oh, I was persecuting God. I mean, church. Now, you know, I became one of them. And probably I need to be persecuted. Like I will die for the Lord. You, you, we saw scriptures where he talks about that. Uh, but then we saw his journey where the Holy Spirit, because remember, he took a vow. He shaved his head and he took a vow that he's going to go make a payment in the temple in Jerusalem. At the time, Jesus appeared to him and told him, stay in this region and speak boldly. There's many people that's got to hear. But Paul was trying to go to Jerusalem because he made a vow. So he's trying to make a payment. Holy Spirit was telling him almost three times, like through a prophet, he, he had witness, other believers, they pray, and everyone tells him, don't go to Jerusalem. But what do you mean with all this weeping and crying? I need to go to Jerusalem. And Paul, there's danger there. You're probably going to be bound up and put in prison. I'm ready to die for the Lord Jesus. That was his, his own zealous nature. But the Holy Spirit was telling him, don't make the payment. The payment's been made. Don't go to Jerusalem. We see he ends up in Jerusalem finally. And then they capture him. They bring him out. And there's a scripture there in Acts. It says, as soon as they brought him out, the doors of the temple were closed. Why did the Holy Spirit put that in? What, what does it matter to us if the doors were open or closed? He was saying, hey, there's no going back to the old covenant law. The payment's been made. The sacrifice been made. Don't try to go back and do the whole thing. So, and then... And then, um, you know, he's, he comes to a place where he's battling with his, his identity. Like he's trying to be a Roman. He's trying to be a Greek. He's trying to be a, you know, Pharisee. 
he's, he's trying to appeal to all these people to appease them or, you know, preach to them. But then Jesus shows up and when he was in the prison and he says, you're going to stand before Caesar. I'll make sure you do. And we kind of contrast his journey in first and second Corinthians and put it against Acts. You study that it's probably the same time when Jesus appeared and said, my grace is sufficient for you. When he was praying about Lord, Satan's eating me for lunch everywhere I go. You got, something's got to stop with this. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. So he was saying, Paul, you've been saved through my grace, not because of what you did. So stop identifying with all these different factions. You are who you say I am. That's why later in the other uh, epistles, he says, I am who I am by the grace of God. So when he found that truth, then even though he was in prison, he was able to freely preach the gospels, write letters. And I think in either, I think in Timothy, at the end of the letter, he says, the household of Caesar greet you in faith. He got Caesar's family saved because he knew he, who he was. So he was no longer trying to be righteous. He identified that, okay, I've been made righteous. So, you know, he, so he came out victorious, even though regardless of, you know, what his journey earlier was. So that, 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 that's something we looked at last time. Um, so this time I want to, um, so righteousness, I mean, Right standing with God. Okay. Um, how were we made righteous? Every believer must know this. Like without this, I see you, Elijah. <laughs> I'm just messing with him. Uh, without uh, understanding of righteousness, uh, Satan will trap us in, in our flesh, in our carnal mind. And, and it's so hard. It's, it's a fight. It's a struggle. I was listening to someone, um, not necessarily like a Christian um, thing, but I was listening to some financial um, uh, stuff. Like this guy talks about investments and stuff. But... He randomly made a point, and that was so in line with the word of God. He, he said, there's, there's two types of people. One that's always struggling, and one that's always taking up a challenge. Both might have the same situation, but in one person's mind, they're always struggling. Oh, I'll just get by this. I'll just get by this. But the other person, he takes it as a challenge. So this is what understanding righteousness does. Like anything enemy throws at us, it's a challenge. We know we're going to win. But if we don't understand righteousness, it's a struggle, man. Like we, We'll be like, 
going around that Mount Sinai and never entering the promised land is, is going to be hard. So, so um, there's a couple of things I want to look at today. Uh, first thing is this, um, understanding how we are made righteous. So I want to briefly take you all through what happened the night of the Passover, right? Um, so we know the story. Um, there's the nine plagues that have gone before. Um, and Moses goes each time to Pharaoh and, and is like, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, nope. <laughs> and then God sends a plague. And then Pharaoh's like, Moses, ask your God to take this away. I'll, I'll let you all go. And then he does. And then he's like, no, I'm not letting you go. Happens nine times. And then, and then Moses like, what's happening? <laughs> and God said, okay, there's one last plague. Uh, let's look at that. Exodus chapter 11, verse one. And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh. And on Egypt, afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people and let every man. Okay, so there's some instructions like, hey, you guys going to go out, go get some gold and silver while you're going out. Um, but then I'll go down. Uh, verse 4. Then the Lord, then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant, who is behind the handmaid, and all the firstborn of the animals, then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt such as was not like it before, nor shall it be like it again. Okay, so we see a plague. So he's saying, so the first nine plagues, he differentiated between the Egyptians and the children of Israel. I would say that was specifically the reason why Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. These were judgments of God, and God was not judging the children of Israel. He was judging only the Egyptians. While, he, while that was happening, they could not go out of Egypt. But then the last plague, it was on everyone who dwelt in the land of Egypt. There is no separation. Now you might say, well, wait a minute. Children of Israel were not harmed. They were not harmed because God made them a way out. But let's say someone from a Hebrew home did not put the blood on the lentil. What would have happened? Death. So the judgment is on all. And going through 
you know, a lot of us have been exposed to the message of grace, right? This, some, some of these passages, man, they don't make sense. It says, God, I will go out and strike people dead. <laughs> like, what's going on? I thought that this was a God of love. What's going on? But the, the fact that he's just is so comforting to us because we have, so a lot of times we think, okay, I've been made the righteousness of God. I've been made the righteousness of God. We don't know how, right? So it's probably because God had mercy on me. Yeah, he did. But yeah, he said, ah, oh, that poor sushi old man, he, he needs to get into heaven. He's, oh, Jesus, would you do something about it? That's how we picture this. But that's not how it happened. Sin must die. So when Adam and Eve sinned, so the first transgression, we know, right? When, when, when God told them, the day you eat of this fruit, you will die. Now, we think that's a punishment. But that was not a punishment in God's mind. That was really a way of escape. Because if they eat of that, they're in transgression and they don't die. There's no redemption. There has to be an end for sin. So let's see what happens. This is amazing. And then you go through chapter 12. He explains, you know, how to keep the Passover. Um, let me pull this up. Open. All right. So chapter 12, verse 12 and 13. For I will pass through the land. So he's reiterating this. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. So this is a judgment. So he's executing judgment against the gods of Egypt. Now, who are these gods of Egypt? They're not the idols they were worshiping. They were the principalities behind those idol worship. So these were Satan's, um, you know, the devil and whatever's ruling that Egypt and whatever's controlling Pharaoh in the spiritual realm, God is saying, I will execute judgment on on the gods of Egypt. So when he does that, so these are rulers, right? When a king goes to war against another king, it's not just king to king. Man, it's the whole kingdom. They go and destroy the whole kingdom. So whoever's staying in this kingdom is about to be destroyed. So there's judgment, right? Now, now uh, I am the Lord, verse 13. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be 
on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So I was reading this one day and the Lord said, why would I pass over if I see the blood? And then later Moses explains the same thing. It says the Lord would not allow the destroyer uh, to go into your homes. So there's definitely the destroyer. And the Lord's has, he, the destroyer basically is the executioner, right? He's the one uh, executing the judgment. So when God sees the blood, why must he pass over? And then I said, Lord, it's a sign for the blood of Jesus. Well, they didn't know that. They didn't know nothing about Jesus. They're like, Okay, God said, put some blood on there. Okay, we'll do it. Eat the lamb. Okay, we'll do it. They, they don't know nothing about Jesus. And then this is what he said. So if the destroyer is going from home to home, killing people, what's happening? Blood is being shed in every home. So he goes to the Hebrew's home. He sees blood. What does that mean? That's what it means. <laughs> Bingo! <laughs> but he sees blood. That means my job's done here. I came to kill. Somebody already died. So pass over. That's what it means. So when we are born again, I was crucified with Christ. So judgment comes to my door. He sees blood like Passover. So it's not that, you know, people say, you've been forgiven, you've been born again, now your slate is clean. No, you don't even have a slate now. Like you died. That, that guy that was born in March 24th, 1987, you can figure out my age. <laughs> and the, until the day I leave this earth, everything that's attached to my flesh, that guy died. So the life now I live is through the faith in the Son of God. So it's completely new. It's completely new. So you've been justly made justified. You've been righteously made righteous. It's not like you paid for your sins by dying on the cross in Jesus. It's not like God saying, okay, I'll wipe your slate clean. Now, you know, try to do your best. Oh, that, that slate thing is done. There's no more slate. Like, he did the slave thing, everything. The, the writing that was against us, he nailed it to the cross. So it's been done, right? So that's how they were made righteous. Now, that's how they escaped judgment. Rather, they were judged. Now, why is it important that animals should die too? Like, what did animals do? Man, poor goat just eating grass, and one day the destroyer comes, hey, bud. Done. Psalms 
78, verse 50. Psalm 78. So he talks about the journey of children of Israel and how God brought them out and all that thing. But I want to specifically read verse 50 through 53. Okay. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare their soul from death, but gave their life over to the plague, to the plague. So he's talking about the plague on the Passover night. And destroyed all the first one in Egypt, the first of their strength in the tents of Ham. But he made his own people, look at this, go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Why is that important? Because he said the firstborn of every kind dies. So sheep, goat, slave, free, king, ruler, subject, anything that's a firstborn, it dies. So when they, so technically the sheep died for them, right? They took a lamb and then killed it and they, eat, they ate the lamb, right? So it was not really humans dying. It was a lamb dying. But God counted it as though the human, the first one of their home died. How does that work out? I mean, sheep dies, he lets humans go. Um, so what, what does he do? They eat the lamb, right? The lamb that was slain for them. They eat the lamb. Now, once they eat it, God is calling them sheep. They're no longer humans. So the human, the, the, the person died, and now they're born again as something else, something completely different. So you become what you eat. That's why we take communion, to remind our bodies, to remind our circumstances. I am what I am eating. I'm eating the flesh of the lamb and I am him. So that's, that's the technicality of what's, how, you know, when we're born again, we're, we're a creature that never existed before. We're a new species. We become sheep. If he was a lamb, we become the lamb. Because the human died. So that's, that's, this is really important to understand because in 1 John 4, 17, it says uh, that you may have boldness on the day of judgment. I mean, when is the day of judgment? It's every day. It's not when we stand before, you know, when he comes back, like I mean, that's a day of celebration for us. That's when my redemption is made complete. I am changed like him. I'm looking forward for that. That's not a day of judgment for me. The day of judgment is today. Like tomorrow on this earth, when my bills are not paid and my body is not healed, you know, when I'm having issues with relationships, that's the day of judgment. 
When the destroyer comes to destroy, I have boldness. Because as he is, so am I. If he's a sheep, I'm a sheep. If he's a lion, I'm a lion. If he's a king, I'm a king. If he's righteous, I'm righteous. That's, that's how we understand righteousness. It's not like oh, God just watched me really hard, high efficiency, tied. And then he made me white. And then I go out and I get stained. No. Like, you, you are done with. There's no old man in there. That man died. Like if I go out and um, let's say, I don't know, get mad at somebody who cuts me off in traffic and uh, like you so-and-so. So that thing that came out of my mouth, that's out of the flesh. And that guy died. So I can't, I can't keep thinking of, oh man, I'm, I'm so sorry, God. I, I cussed him out. God, like, who, the dead guy? So it's important to know our identity. And this is how we identify. Now, I want to just move over to um, passage in Romans. And now, now that we know, like, you know, we know how the machine works. Now we see how the operator tells us to operate. You know, that's the Holy Spirit, right? Um, do, do, do. Romans, we're, uh, Romans chapter 8. I mean, we all know this. Uh, uh, I'm going to read from beginning. I mean, a lot of these scriptures are really familiar to us, but I'm going to keep, read keep reading and just highlight some of these things. Um, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh. Now, just if you're taking notes or something, just underline that walk, who do not walk according to the flesh. Now, we keep looking at this word a lot in the new covenant, especially like the epistles. It keeps talking about um, walking, you know, walk in holiness or walk in upright heart, even in Proverbs and Psalms, like walking. What does that mean? What does that really mean? So he, we, we, see, we see that in this chapter. So there's now, uh, oh, by the way, about that walking thing. Uh, we kind of uh, refer to this uh, in the first week uh, where um, God declares Abraham righteous, right? He, Abraham believed on the Lord and it was accounted to him righteous. Now, God said, Abraham, you're righteous, okay? And I'm going to multiply your seed, look at the stars, and there are going to be so many people coming out of you, your belly and things like that. And then the next chapter, now Sarah did not bear Abraham children. <laughs> It's exactly what goes on in our life. Like God says, you're righteous. And the word says the righteous will flourish like palm tree in all these blessings. And you go out and Sarah did not bear children. Like that's the reality in their flesh. 
So what did they do about it? They didn't lean on what God said. God said, you're righteous. They're like, God said, your payment's been made. And they were like, we got to work on this because payment's been not, payment's not been made. So they work on it and they get Ishmael. 13 years later, the next chapter, when Abraham was 99 years old, the word of the Lord appeared unto Abram and he said, Abram, walk before me and be blameless. What is he saying? So he's talking about walking. So there's one part where there's this <laughs> declaration, right? You be made righteous. God said, Abram, you be made righteous. Now there's the walking part. He's telling Abram, walk before me. You're walking before your circumstances. You're walking before your lack. You're walking before whatever's telling you it's not working. God is saying, walk before me. Like it says in James, look into the perfect law of liberty. And that perfect law of liberty, that mirror is Jesus. That mirror is going to tell you, look, you look just like a lion. There's no, you know, bumps and zits and there's no blemishes on you. There's no sin on you. That mirror is going to tell you you're holy. You're seated beside the throne of God and you're holy. That's what that mirror is going to tell us. So he's saying, look at that and walk like that. But Abram and Sarah, they were looking at, you know, what, what's going on here. So that's kind of, you know, that's what he's saying, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Excuse me. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. The righteous requirement of the law. Oh, fancy language. He's saying payments due, man. That's what he's saying. And that requirement, that payment was made through Jesus Christ. Fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So if we are walking according to the spirit, the payment's being made. But if you are walking according to the flesh, you're making the payments. You're working. You're striving. It's hard. It's struggle. For those who live according to the flesh. Okay. Now. Walking in the spirit. He's talking about walking and walking. And even to Abraham, he said, walk before me, right? What does that mean? For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds. Now, that's the definition. How do you walk? You set your mind. Psalms 1, it talks about walking. Do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. So walking starts with counsel, with setting your mind, with your thoughts. 
on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. So if you're walking according to the spirit, you're thinking what the spirit is saying, right? For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. So my flesh is on the opposite end of the spectrum. God is here, my flesh is here. So I cannot walk. So when he's saying walk not according to the flesh, he's not talking about outward uh, behavior. We just saw when he says walk according to flesh or walk according to spirit, he's talking about setting your mind on the spirit or on the flesh. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Oh, I'm going to wake up every day at 4 a.m. and pray for two hours. You cannot please God. It's not going to happen. That's what he's saying. Not to say that, not to pray, but don't do it out of the flesh. There's a leading of the spirit. There's a way to go about it. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit, it is life because of righteousness. Okay? But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now, we tend to pull the scripture out of its context and talk about, oh, I'm going to be changed. The spirit of God changes me. Uh, you know, when Christ comes back, which is true, but he's not talking about that day. He's talking about in the context of walking in everyday life. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. So the source comes from the spirit. So for your walking, the energy comes from the spirit. So anything you got to do, it's all coming from the spirit. He will quicken. He will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors to, not to the flesh. See, he's talking about payments. We're not debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So if you're in, if you're in debt, you got to live according to your debt. As in, I need to make my monthly payment. If I don't, it's going to be bad. So you're, you're planning everything according to that debt. But you're not in debt, right? For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, what happened when the Holy Spirit 
came upon Jesus like the dove. He heard a voice. This is my beloved son. The first thing you're going to hear when you receive the Holy Spirit. This is my beloved son. Now, I'm saying specifically son, regardless of gender, because it's, it's the position of Jesus. This is my beloved son. So even uh, the prophecy of Joel, Peter quotes it when they start speaking in tongues. And he says, in the last days, I shall pour out my spirit on all flesh. And the next verse, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. So when the spirit comes, the first thing he's going to convict you that, you know, you've been made righteous. What does that mean? That means you're a son. You're a daughter. This is no longer working, right? Which is why he says, for as many are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Which means, Daddy, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. So this is what the Holy Spirit convicts us of. That we are children of God. And if children, heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, how did we suffer with him? I died with him on the cross. That's what he's talking about. That we may be glorified together. And then he talks about what's happening in the circumstance. What's happening. He talks about the sufferings of the current time are not comparable to the glory that is revealed in us. So he's saying, walk according to the spirit and this glory. You can overcome this. And he ends the chapter saying, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Because we are righteous, and that's what the Spirit is, is confirming to us. He even talks about uh, the intercession that the Holy Spirit makes through us, and groanings that cannot be uttered. And when we don't know what to pray, he's praying through us. And this is what he's saying. You're a son. You're a daughter. Right, and then he ends ends it. He, he even says, um, verse thirty-one: What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now we understand why he's talking about charge and, you know, justification. It's all it all has to do with righteousness. If you are made righteous, that means if you made the payment, it's not, yes, Jesus made the payment, but because you were in him when he made the payment, you made the payment. You paid for your sins. So... So when Satan comes knocking at my door, this is what I told people during COVID, when COVID first came. Uh, symptoms come knocking at your door. Say, hey, the guy you're trying to kill, he died. So I don't know who you're looking for. 
yeah, I live in the same address. It's the same body. But that guy died. We buried, had a funeral. We're not raising him from the dead. So they're like, okay. I don't know who you are. Move on. Right? So there's no one that can bring charge against us. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen. Who is at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness. All these things don't matter anymore because we know we have been made righteous. And that's what I was saying. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We see them as challenges and we know that we can overcome them because we, we know we've been made righteous. We're not trying to argue with the devil. He's like, I'm here to execute judgment because you did so-and-so when you were three years old. That guy died. It's done with. So, awesome. Before we go, any questions, comments, or anything? <laughs>